This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of All Things Considered CX. I'm your host, Bob Asman, the founder of Innovative CX Solutions, a past chairperson of the CXPA, and a practitioner with many years of transforming global operations and designing better customer experiences. Together with our guests and listeners, we seek to discuss, challenge, and create new understanding about how to inspire better experiences in response to ever-changing customer expectations. Hello, and welcome to another episode of All Things Considered CX. My name is Bob Asman, and I'm your host for this episode. And our guest today is Nathan Foy. Nathan, would you take a minute or two to introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Thanks, Bob. Uh, My name is Nathan Foy. I'm CEO and founder of Fortis Corp, which is the world's uh, most secure travel, uh, private travel service for rich clients. And uh, we've been doing that for 21 years. Our core client is someone that owns their own private jet. They would typically have a net worth of over $600 million. So these are very demanding clients with truly global needs. Uh, And we have offices in Greenville, South Carolina, which is our headquarters, as well as Hong Kong. That's how we do the 24-7 service. And then our service is actually available in... uh, it's about, it's over a thousand cities and 114 countries around the world. Great. Thanks, Nathan. I've, I've been intrigued by this topic since Nathan and I had an initial conversation. And I have to admit that I'm a, um, a addict with some of these Netflix shows about um, multi-million dollar real estate sales and and a rich client making these rich clients making these purchases. So I think we're going to have an intriguing conversation today. But before we get into the meat of that, Nathan, tell us uh, a little bit about uh, your career path, your background, how you got to do what you're doing today. Our listeners are always intrigued by um, the various steps that you've taken in your career. Sure. Uh, so the original idea for Fortis when we founded it in 2000 was a prepaid taxi cab service for college students. And so we would sell these prepaid cards on campus for parents to put a balance for their kids to have safe travel in their university town. Uh, and we had a big push for the fall move-in season of 2001. And things were going pretty well. We were in you know Boston and Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., selling these at campus bookstores. Uh, and then 9-11 happened and the bottom fell out. And we had to change our model because we had run out of investors' money. And so we started selling those cards to companies. And after two or three companies had signed up, we had our first aviation company. And that aviation company told me, uh, you know, we should really do chauffeured cars because no one has a good service to pick up people on the back end of flights. And this is now early 2002. TSA had just started. A lot of wealthier clients didn't like the extra security for flying commercial. And private aviation was really taking off. And uh, so we started doing that. 
and really that's you know been the core of our business ever since interesting nathan so was the original idea of the prepaid card i mean it almost sounds like a precursor to uber or lyft am i am i reading that right or listening to that correctly i think you're reading that right it was uh in in you know very targeted way uh that, but we didn't have the, uh, the funding of those guys to, to scale it. And it was probably a, a few years too early. Mm -hmm. Now, when you came up with this idea, was it because you had experienced it personally, or how did you come up with the idea of a prepaid card for college students? Well, I went to college at Emory University in Atlanta, and they didn't let freshmen have cars. And then we also knew of some friends that had just been in unsafe situations with people that shouldn't have been driving. And it just seemed like there should be a solution. And in 2000, you know, prepaid cards for phones or campus dining plans, those were kind of all the rage. And it just seemed like there should be a transportation card for the same purpose. Sounds good. What did you uh, go to the university, every university for? What was your major? Uh, I was a double major in history and economics. Uh, very interesting background uh, to, in consideration of what you're doing today. Um, so uh, thanks, Nathan, for that. That's it's always good to understand the, the background and nature of, of our guests and how they got to what they're doing. So one of the reasons we're uh, joined to, together today on this podcast is because you have a book being released very soon called What Rich Clients Want But Won't Tell You. Um, let's get into the, the meat of that book and, and uh, have you share some insights into why you wrote it and what's it all about. Great. Uh, so I wrote the book because over 20 years of serving this demographic, I have discovered that rich clients will never tell you what they want, but I think I've been able to discern it as a process uh, of five steps that build to higher and higher and higher level service that commands a greater premium and greater loyalty. And I thought it might be helpful for other service providers or people that are interesting in serving this demographic to have that written out as a book. And that's, that's uh, really what this is meant to do. So what are some of the experiences that you've had that kind of contributed to the writing of the book before you actually decided to put pen to paper? What, what are some experiences that our listeners might enjoy hearing about rich people not telling you what they want? So I, I'm assuming that means that they expected you to uh, anticipate their needs and solve them. So what, one story from the book, Bob, is uh, we have a Chilean billionaire that's a client of ours. He flew into Boston one time and he fired the chauffeur that we provided him within 30 seconds, one minute. And this was not uh, a chauffeur that was a bad chauffeur. This was a, a reputable chauffeur in our network. And we tried to just understand why, what happened? Did he say something? Did he do something? And it wasn't that he said or did anything really bad. It was just that he sized them up within 30 seconds to a minute. And billionaires are experts at a 30 minute or I'm sorry, a 30 second size up of somebody to see if this person's worth their time. And this person just didn't come across as worth their time. And so as a result of that, we started to deconstruct. Well, how do you pass that 30 second eye test? What is the key? to that 
And then we started to implement that. And we went back to this Chilean client. We told him, you know, hey, we're sorry that this didn't work out. Uh, but we, we think that we've we firmed it up. And this client, I mean, this was 10 years ago. This happened. This client is still with us. Uh, and in fact, he was calling us during COVID to check on us and say, hey, if we, you know, if you guys have any problems and need a loan or excess capital or whatever during the travel shutdown, uh, I'm here for you because I really need you guys. And uh, that that's a synopsis of they don't tell you why they fire you, but you have to kind of reverse engineer it. But when you do that, I think they'll never go away. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that that once you understand that, that the loyalty is, is perhaps unending? I mean, I think it can always go away if the service starts to slip. So I don't, I don't think there's ever a point that you can, you know, rest easy and not be a little bit, uh, you know, critical of yourself and trying to refine things. But I think that the level of trust in, in making recommendations, the level of premium that you can command, uh, the level of loyalty is uh, is very high when those things are in place. So I guess, you know, just to complete that story, what we did for this client, we started to brief chauffeurs on the principle in advance of every ride. It's actually a, a process in our system now. And so if, if you were taking a ride, Bob, in Boston, we would tell the chauffeur a few key things about you. And then we also have just standard ways of presenting yourself that we coach up our partner chauffeurs into. Uh, and so, you know, nobody says those things are needed. Nobody has ever verbalized those things. But as we've implemented that, we've seen a huge difference in our business. Mm -hmm. Nathan, a lot of our listeners are customer experience professionals, customer service leadership. And obviously just like you and your company have been struggling through COVID trying to find a pathway, trying to figure out our, and our, how to navigate the crisis, um, both short-term and long-term. And, and many are not being very successful with it. They're, you know, you, you've seen them as well as I've seen them, the banners across the, the websites that say, we're, we're backlogged, we can't ship on time, we can't answer your call, it's going to be ours. How does a company like yours uh, navigate that this crisis and, and maintain the level of service that if you don't maintain it, you're out of business. So I think a key part of that for us, Bob, is that we use our own proprietary technology made by our own in-house development team to do all of the uh, redundant sort of non-thinking tasks that our team would be faced with. And that does a few things all at once. Number one, it makes for a better work environment for our team because they aren't a call center. They're really solving intricate travel problems for the world's most discerning travelers. And that, that's a fun, rewarding career. Uh, another thing it does is it allows us to handle volume fluctuations really well in the sense that there's a lot of bread and butter type of transactions that don't need a lot of that higher thinking. And so as volume is more spiking or ebbing, uh, we can we can adjust to that without it all just being based on on personnel. Those two things have, have helped us quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So when you look at um, how you manage clients in, in in terms of their needs, as a client, do I deal with the same person all the time? Do I get a team? How is that approached in your organization? 
So usually when someone first comes to us, there is a salesperson that is working with them for what we call a test drive. And a test drive is five to 10 trips, hopefully in different locations, ideally even different countries, so that you get a broad swath of the service and how we differentiate. When a test drive is concluded, there becomes a decision of, are we going to formally engage this person as a client or is it, is it best not to? Uh, about nine out of 10 test drives become regular clients. Once they become a regular client, then they would be dealing with uh, basically just you know, a variety of team members and it would go from that personal touch to more of a, a team, team-based concierge at that point. Mm-hmm. I like this idea or this concept of a test drive. I, I could guess some of my listeners are saying to themselves, boy, if I could test drive some of my clients, it would make a big difference. How did you come <laughs> up with it? I think it's a great idea. I love it. How did you come up with that? Well, we, we realized that selling on concept for what we do, because it's so targeted to a very thin slice of the public. And frankly, you know, one thing I would say about rich clients, I think in the world of travel, their expectations are actually too low. Um, But we could sit there and say our service is better, we're more secure, all of these different things. The best analogy I have is it's like uh, the MacBook. You know, I could tell you that Mac or iPhone or iPad is better, but you know, Steve Jobs built the Apple stores so that you can experience it. And if you experience it, that's far better than all the pros you could put out about why it's better. And then we said, well, the experience really should be a variety of things. So we, we kind of coached them into how to approach a test drive and say, you know, this isn't just a chauffeur, uh, like ask him to do strange things that come up that you need during the trip. Don't assume that he can't do those, actually assume he can and put extra weight on them. And that's how you measure our service. And when that happens, uh, there's, there's been really good results. That's fascinating. Listeners, just as a reminder, you're listening to the All Things Considered CX podcast with Nathan Foy, author of the upcoming book, What Rich Clients Want But Won't Tell You. So Nathan, let's talk for a minute about uh, kind of staying on this test driver, customer acquisition strategy. Do, do you actively seek rich clients or do they, is it now word of mouth? Do they come to you? And the reason I'm asking is if, if one of our listeners is, is listening to this podcast saying, wow, that could be a niche for us. We have a product or service that matches that niche. What's been your approach on this for your particular service that you're providing in terms of acquisition of customers? So in the, in the referral game, we are very tight and have been for 20 years with the private aviation community. Uh, So these are jet management companies that have a very high-end clientele. uh, And they know that when they have someone that's hard to please or going to hard to execute locations, Fortis is the the number to call. Um, So within that community, there's a lot of referrals and cross-pollination and good word of mouth as you know, Fortis is the, in case of emergency, break up in Fortis option. Um, in terms of when we start to have those principal relationships with the Chilean billionaires of the world, they hardly ever refer you. Uh, they are more of a hoarder mindset of that if you're great, then they want to have more of it and keep it to themselves. And uh, so the, the referrals happen more on the conduit end than they do on the end user end of things. 
that's interesting insight uh, that you have there on the, on the rich clients and and being hoarder like I, I like that the depiction. Never thought of it that way, but I like the depiction. Um, so back on the book, one of the um, comments that you made to me that I overlooked initially and and it caught my attention again was that the book is based on the Bible. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so um, the original uh, concept of Fortis, uh, when we kind of were reborn, I became convicted as a Christian that I wasn't honoring this as a company that was really God's company and stewarding it. I was kind of doing it for the wrong reasons. And so everything that we do as a company, it may be akin to a Chick-fil-A, is informed by biblical principles about how God cares for us and how we can care for clients doing that in ways that are imperceptible. Sometimes people realize what those are and, and affirm those particularly. But uh, we, we love doing that in the background. And quite frankly, a lot of rich clients, I think, are used to people uh, looking at them as a dollar sign or an opportunity. And I think if you just treat them as made in the image of God and they have dignity because of who they are, because of that fact, it really actually stands apart for them in the world of people serving them. That's really uh, interesting, again, as an approach to serving uh, clients, how does that show itself in, in the delivery of the experience and service? Is that show itself in culture of the organization and attitude of the employees? How does that manifest itself? So I think, you know, it, so our, our vision statement begins with inspired by God's masterful care and working for his glory. So I would say we're trying to show the care that God has for us to our team. And then our team in turn shows that to our clients. So practically speaking in our culture, we have a caring team that's kind of first responders for team needs that might be personal, or maybe they don't want to bring up to the person that manages them. Um, and that could be things like, Hey, I had a fight with my spouse and I need a few hours just to kind of make things right. Or I might need counseling or other things. Um, and so we have that, we, we fund that we have, uh, a chaplain that's available for personal counsel on our team as well. Um, we do things like activity days where in the summertime, when business is a little slower, we'll take out groups of two or three people and go hiking or go whitewater rafting and just connect, just spend more time together. And what we find is, is that that translates to the service that they offer uh, the clients. And so, you know, they're looking for ways to connect. They're looking for little ways to boost them that might not be a revenue opportunity. And I think in the world of billionaires, that's really unique. I think they're, they're, that stands out as something they don't usually experience. It's quite interesting because uh, in this world of customer experience professionals that uh, we operate in, the the whole concept of employee experience uh, is really a hot topic right now. We used to say, uh, you know, happy employees make happy customers, but it's so much more than that. The employee experience, the employee engagement. And so clearly that's what you're touching on is is to create an employee experience that delivers a better customer experience. Did did you, uh, you know, how did you how did you arrive at that destination? Because oftentimes, in building companies, that 
and I'm not saying this about your company, but in general, that isn't always top of mind. Sometimes it's it's an afterthought. How did you lead with that as you are in your vision statement about employees? Well, I think it was a, a personal conviction that you know when we ran out of money in 2001, uh, I, I prayed and I felt very convicted that I had been running the company for my own glory and for my own status and money and that it was God's company and I was to steward it for him. And so, uh, you know, I, I tell everybody that when I'm in the hiring process of, hey, this is how we view it. It doesn't mean that you have to be a Christian to work here or you have to subscribe to everything, but just know this is the environment and this is why we do what we do. And, uh, you know, I've had people on my team that don't line up with that worldview that have actually said, you know, I'm thankful that we do that this way because I feel like it's got a deeper meaning than just transactions. And uh, that's been really heartening to hear. Absolutely. I, I was just in a conversation recently talking about uh, and asking uh, an organization, do you want to have transactions or relationships? And, and clearly your, uh, your approach is a relationship-based approach while you conduct transactions for your clients. Absolutely. So Nathan, uh, what other um, key messages are in your upcoming book that might intrigue our readers uh, to go out and purchase it when it's released later in September? Well, I think the, the, the key thing is, is that, you know, if you have a business that doesn't target rich clients or, you know, you, you may never target rich clients, uh, it's still, I think, a helpful tool because if you tailor your process such that the world's most discerning, richest clients would see the value in what you're offering, I think it's going to translate to a lot of value in whatever service you're providing. Um, so for instance, the basic level is professionalism. The next level is problem solving. And I go through the right way to problem solve and introduce that. Um, and each one builds upon the previous one. You can't fast forward to level three without really acing level one and two. Um, so I think if you build your business to be able to do that, you're going to be well-equipped to go kind of wherever you want it to go. Um, and then the second thing I would say, just from a demographic and economic view of things, uh, the rich are getting richer and there's more and more of us that are in businesses that are somehow downstream from these super rich individuals. And I think more of the economy is going to be doing services or products that are targeted to these folks. And I think it could be helpful just knowing that reality is in place. <clears throat> Excellent. And one thought comes to mind of if I'm if I'm thinking about what our listeners are thinking would be, uh, Nathan, that all sounds really good, but I don't have a bunch of money. Uh, you must have huge margins because you're dealing with rich people. I can, you know, I'm kind of projecting what could be right or wrong questions, but you know, I, I struggle enough to get investments in in simple things. How am I going to get an investment in order to serve this market? Um, what, any thoughts along those lines about, you know, the, the investment costs associated with, with uh, creating a great experience? Um, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm right there with them. And, you know, I was in 2001 and 2002, our margins on trips were 15 and then overnight they went to 35%. But, you know, on 
the a chauffeur car transfer that's still not a not a huge margin. So we we increased our premiums as we increased our our service levels up that skyscraper of success I've been referencing. Uh, so it, it wasn't natural to go to super premium because we didn't have a super premium service. We had to discern basically what's in the book. And as we did that, we added premium, which added more ability to implement more of these things that created more value. That, that whole process has been 20 years in the making. So I, I completely empathize with, you can't start at the penthouse of the skyscraper. You do have to work your way up. But I think what the book does is kind of give you a procedure to do just that. Mm-hmm. And from, from what you uh, said, you th- these are these principles that you have in the book are applicable whether you're serving rich clients or any other type of client from your perspective. Absolutely. I mean, just just to take the the bottom layer of professionalism, uh, you know, we really go through the key aspects of professionalism. Uh, appearance matters. Just to tell you one thing, we started to uh, have chauffeurs submit their pictures from around the world so that they would be in our app. And we had to have a lot of awkward conversations with guys about their personal appearance. Uh, and nobody likes having those. Uh, but we, we had to say, look, you know, you are going to be assessed within 30 seconds. And you might be very individualistic in your personal style. And that's great. But if you have really strange facial hair, uh, you know, and a really odd look or clothing, it's 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 a signal. And these guys are going to thin slice you right away. And the truth is, is that I mean, that happens if you're a server at a, a, you know, medium price restaurant as well. And, you know, I think I think that message is applicable across the board. Mm -hmm. I I I. Uh, didn't circle back with you on that 30 second comment you made earlier in our conversation, but as much as we try to deny it, it's really true, isn't it? In fact, I've heard it even shorter time frame than 30 seconds where somebody, not just necessarily a rich client, but somebody is assessing you and determining whether, like you said, at a server at a restaurant, whether this is going to go well or not. Uh, it's pretty intriguing, isn't it, that it's that short uh, time period? Absolutely. And, and I think the, the converse is, is that if you win that first 30 second period of time, these guys can go really deep with you really quickly. I mean, they can start trusting you pretty quickly with a lot of things because they are thin slicing these decisions. But the key characteristic is they are decisive. So, uh, you know, if you win that first 30 seconds, uh, I think it's amazing what can happen and how quickly. And I really like that statement, win the first 30 seconds. And and to your point earlier, this is applicable. I mean, we all should be striving to to win in that first 30 seconds because clients are making, I mean, clients are going on, customers are going on to a website. If your website isn't working, uh, you don't have a whole lot of time to make up for that problem. And and that certainly is a judgment uh, that happens within a very short period of time for customers. Absolutely. Nathan, uh, I always like uh, to give my guests the opportunity to share some final thoughts, words of advice, learnings to our listeners that they can then take back and and not only once they've read your book, but heard directly from the author of, of some of his, uh, uh, his thoughts and, and wisdom. So this is your opportunity. 
Yeah, I, I think I would just say to people that are interested in this topic and that want to improve or maybe even start a service business or for that matter, a product business that they just feel like the service component is very important to them. You know, don't be intimidated by that. I did not grow up, you know, as a you know hospitality student or, you know, a purveyor of fine services. That was not my DNA. But I've just been a student of the game and I've tried to listen. And whenever we have a client issue or what have you over these past 20 plus years, I've really leaned into it and tried to really unpack it. And then that's led to to this. And so, you know, I would just encourage you that, you know, you can do that. And I'm, I'm pretty, pretty good proof of that. Uh, you know, if you ask my wife, uh, I don't think she would say I'm the most attentive or highest service, uh, but I do try to listen and I do try to learn. And I think if you do that, you can do really well in, uh, in this aspect of business. Mm -hmm. I love that. Listen and learn anything uh, that you you tell our listeners, you know, uh, this was the one thing that that put me over the over the edge and, and really made a difference for me in the service business? I think it would probably be that, uh, Bob. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's um, you know, just to give you one example, in 2015, we had, for the first time ever, a few major clients that were used to our service and used to our pricing leave and just say, yeah, you know, it's just not worth what we're paying. And that was humbling for us. And these three clients were all in the fossil fuels business. And this was when a barrel of oil went down to $40. And, you know, I could have rationalized, oh, you know, they're in the fossil fuel business and everybody's pinching pennies, so no big deal. But we really leaned into that. And we found out, for instance, that a lot of our clients were having a hard time translating our pricing to the end user. And you know, they would say your service is great, but 50% of the time, the client just doesn't want to pay what you're charging because it just lands with them as, well, this is like two X of what, I don't know, an Uber black or a local service would cost. And uh, that led us to create uh, a PDF about how we're more secure. And it's just a couple bullet points. And somebody who's, who's suggesting us can hand this over to the client. And within six months, for one big client in particular, we went from under 50% of our quotes being accepted to um, eight out of 10 being accepted. Uh, and, you know, we only got there because we leaned in and listened and had humility. And, you know, one of the things I say in the book is that, you know, really none of this progression makes sense if you're not teachable with humility. Uh, if, if you're not kind of constantly willing to question your own assumptions and your own ways of doing things and listen to criticism and even lean into it. Um, I think that's the biggest trait that uh, can make you successful in this space. Uh, that's, those are great, uh, great thoughts, Nathan. I, having been in the travel business, um, you know, duty of care uh, was really important to clients and, uh, it even made price fall by the wayside oftentimes because of employees, the, the importance of employee safety and security. And your words about humility are, are something all of us can take to heart and use in our service uh, to our customers. 
Listeners, you've been listening to Nathan Foy, author of the upcoming book, What Rich Clients Want But Won't Tell You. Nathan, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Bob. This has been fun. Absolutely. And uh, listeners, you've been listening to another episode of All Things Considered CX with your host, Bob Asman. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your networks. And, and of course, stay tuned for future episodes of the All Things Considered CX podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of All Things Considered CX. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your colleagues. Subscribe to our show, follow me on LinkedIn, and visit my website at InnovativeCX.com for more insights on creating better experiences. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit CXofM.org for more resources.